Welcome to the States of Matter podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Refrigeration Network Women in RACHP. I'm Karen Perry, Chair of the Network, and for Episode 2, I introduce you again to my co-host, Lisa Jane Cook. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Karen. Um, And we are very excited to welcome award-winning engineer, presenter, and diversity advocate, Alexandra Knight. Hi, good to be here. Alex is a chartered engineer. Fellow of the Institute of Mechanical Engineers and Women's Engineering Society, a Royal Academy of Engineering visiting professor at Brunel University, and also a STEM ambassador. Working in the engineering industry for over 15 years, she is the founder and CEO of STEMazing, a movement dedicated to inspiration and inclusion in STEM, with a mission to empower women to shine and inspire young people to become our next generation of innovators and problem solvers. Alex, really impressive background there. Tell us a bit more about you, your background, and also your entry into engineering. Sure. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I'm really pleased to be on this podcast. It's great that you're doing this. Right. So, I mean, my entry into engineering really came about from a sort of almost like a throwaway comment from a physics teacher I had who said engineering opens doors. And that kind of stuck with me because I thought, you know, I don't really know if I want to be an engineer, but if I get an engineering education, then it will open doors to all sorts of other things. And that's exactly what it did for me. So I did study mechanical engineering at university and went on then to do a medical engineering master's. But I feel like throughout my career, and certainly now in the last few years of my career, the fact that I've got that engineering education, sort of engineering way of thinking and problem solving has helped open doors for me into all sorts of opportunities that I have trained myself over the years to take advantage of and not run away from. And that has created all sorts of amazing things that I'm doing that I'm sure we'll talk about. I kind of took the traditional route into engineering, I suppose, because I did maths, physics, chemistry, A-levels, which I wasn't very good at. But my parents told me that doing those A-levels would help me get a good career and be financially stable, which I suppose of that generation was the most important thing in life. It wasn't necessarily about being happy, (laughs) which I think we've changed our view on quite a lot now in terms of like career aspirations. So, yeah. And then like at uni, I, you know, I struggled quite a lot. I kind of really Uh, had difficulty with the first couple of years, but found my feet, ended up coming out top of my year. So I did really well, even though I like struggled to get in to, to do the degree in the first place. And that kind of gave me a confidence boost that if I apply myself, if I work hard, I can pretty much do anything that I set my mind to. So that definitely started to kind of build that foundation of confidence deep in me that I was definitely lacking before that. Wow. Can I just say that that is quite an amazing story, isn't it? Really like exciting journey as well. Sort of like a bit of sort of self-discovery. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like my entire life has been self-discovery, to be honest. And I still think I'm on that journey. And like university, the independence of being away from home and finding my own feet, like not, not relying on other people to solve my problems that was definitely the start of something in me to be a bit more resourceful, entrepreneurial. And, you know, I kind of built on that when I got my first job after my master's, which was at a startup medical company, medical engineering company. And because it was a startup, so there were a couple of directors and then me. Uh, And I worked in the lab and 
I kind of did some like tests and medical trials on the devices. And that also helped build on my entrepreneurial sort of uh, skills, I suppose, and lots of trial and error and things failing and working out how to improve it and not being afraid of the the failure point. So that kind of helped me. And I think if I hadn't have been quite a resilient problem solver by, you know, due to the fact that I kind of really struggled at school and struggled with my A-levels and struggled in the first few years of uni, I don't think I would have thrived in that environment. So definitely what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> um, I'm just going to ask as well, did you have a strong female role model um, through all of that out that experience as well because quite often when I speak to other really successful engineers female engineers they quite often say that there was a strong female within, within their that. site that actually really helped them to believe in themselves did you have that or did you just find this within yourself I did have some female role models so in my very in that very first company one of the directors was a woman and she was a, um, she had a, a science background so I did look up to her that was quite unusual there were a, a couple of women role models I had at university who were lecturers again who I looked up to them and in the women's engineering society which you know I started to get involved with quite early on but I don't know if I felt like I was kind of aspiring to them I sort of saw them as well you know if they can do it then it's possible but still the majority of the people around me were men and the majority of my feelings were almost like I still had to prove myself as a woman in engineering, a young woman in engineering. And so I think that kind of that desire to prove myself was stronger than me having like maybe a positive influence from a role model, if I'm honest. So I I feel like I, I would have really benefited from more role models. The fact that they were very much in the minority wasn't enough of an influence on me to feel like I belong here I still felt like I didn't belong a lot of the time yeah it's it's interesting and I feel like it sort of reflects my story a little bit I'm, I had a mum my mum was an engineer so I had a really strong role model from a very early age but actually when I went into my apprenticeship I was the only girl and actually my first day when I walked into the workshop the lecturer looked at me and said beauty therapies in the next block love you know and I was wearing dms I had like dreads in my hair rainbow coat like I was just such a strange weird child you know that from that moment I was determined to prove them wrong as well because he almost just didn't expect me and you know to my shock you know he'd not even looked at the register for the the class because if he had he would have realized he had a girl on his his class so I think probably like I say it's, it's quite similar stories so, I think. that's so terrible coming from an authority figure isn't it because I had similar comments at uni my very very first lecture considering I came from an all-girls school so I was used to 100% girls at school went to university and I was one of 10 girls out of over 100 students and the first lecture I went into and I sat down next to a group of lads who were looking at photos and seemed like all like, literally like fawning over these photos and I said what are you looking at and they were looking at photos, like printed out photos back then, of an engine block and this engine of a car. And I just was like, oh, interesting. OK, why? And they said, oh, you won't be interested in this. Anyway, did you realise this is engineering? English is down the corridor, assuming that I was meant to be in the English lecture. And I said, no, I am meant to be here. Sort of like, <laughs> oh, my God, thinking, am I meant to be here? 
Yeah, so, but I mean, from a lecturer or from somebody who's taking the course, that's just awful, isn't it? But it just shows the level of the problem that exists and still does. And I think that is the thing, it does still very much exist. It really does. I think we spoke about this in our last um, podcast as well, didn't we? But that's almost gives you that determination to work against those stereotypes as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did that spur you on at all, that sort of comment from the boys within your... Yeah, interestingly, it did spur me on. But I think luckily, like luckily, I responded that way. Well, I suppose initially I had a bit of like, oh, my God, total self-doubt. Am I meant to be here? Like, I don't even really appreciate what an engine block is. I don't know what I what I'm looking at here. And I certainly don't find it as interesting as you. So I don't like, am I wrong to be here? But then I kind of didn't really give myself a choice. So I, I decided I was going to turn it around and I was going to prove that I, w- I was meant to be here. And maybe that resulted in a bit of an overachievement type mentality and that like I really I didn't just want to get my degree. I wanted to be the best. And I did make that. But that took a lot of hard work and a lot of probably sacrifice personally to to achieve that. And I'm not sure that that's the right answer either, you know, because I think that puts a lot of pressure on an individual and that in itself is setting unrealistic expectations, which in itself is quite self-destructive. So I I feel like a better balance is the key, but that's so hard to get. You know, it's so hard to just sort of be yourself and achieve the right level for you whilst feeling you belong and getting that balance of drive is something I'm still working on now, if I'm honest. I think that's it. It shouldn't be a fight and a challenge, should it? It should just be a natural thing that we go into that everyone's nurtured to to develop within those careers. So from a successful career in engineering to becoming the amazing STEM role model that you are now, what changed or what triggered that change in direction for you? Maybe it didn't feel like that for you, but for others it would look that way. Yeah, no, it did feel like that for me. Um, I think I was on the usual, like pretty bog standard career trajectory, just working my way up to the next promotion in the company and taking on bigger and different projects and just felt like that was just the norm. And that was what I just, you know, didn't really think anything different about it. Just that's what I did. Worked hard to get the next promotion and the next pay rise. And then once I'd had children and I was struggling with the the idea of trying to make life work with the career aspiration and ambition that I definitely had whilst balancing wanting to be around for my kids and not being able to really make that work satisfactorily. I always felt like there's a disconnect here. Something is not working for me. I don't have the freedom to be the best career person I can be whilst also being the the mum that I want to be. And for me, that was about having time with my children. And because, you know, this is pre-COVID, obviously, working from home was not really normal and flexible working even wasn't really normal. And the idea of me being able to, say, be around for the kids, like take them to nursery or whatever, was seemed almost like an impossible task whilst also working and so this had started creeping in for quite a while anyway for quite a number of years and then I kind of felt like I wanted to try doing my own side hustle so I definitely started Stamazing as a side hustle it happened uh, before Covid that I had this idea for a couple of years of what I wanted to do mentoring coaching um, running STEM clubs 
But I, I thought I'll just run that as a side hustle and had, had registered the name with Companies House and sort of got the ball rolling because, again, telling myself, don't wait for this concept or this idea to be perfect. Progress is better than perfection. Just do it and see what happens. So I just registered, you know, it cost you like 20 quid to register a company. And I didn't really do anything with it for a while. And then I started doing some stuff with it. And I started doing some um, like speaking and some mentoring as paid work, but still in conjunction with my day job, if you like. And and then it just was sort of an evolution. So it, it did still feel like a really scary leap when I eventually decided to leave my day job behind. I still call it my day job, like conventional job behind and runs amazing full time. But because I'd had probably about a year and a half since establishing the company to actually leaving my conventional job, it had evolved over that time. And I'd I'd built my confidence in the concept as well as my confidence in myself of being able to do it. So it was still a scary leap, absolutely. But I don't think I could have done it in one foul swoop. It took, a, you know, some baby steps and a bit of an evolution to get there. But it's still, I was actually seeing a counsellor at the time, a, a therapist for some other stuff that I was going through. And I was talking to her about it, almost like a life coach. And it, it became clear to me from sort of her reflecting back to me that this is what you're meant to do, Alex. And you, you, you know, you absolutely like come alive when you're talking about this, this thing that you want to do. And yet you feel like you can't do it. And the only person standing in your way is you, because why can't you just decide to do it? And, and then we had like me and my husband had some interesting conversations about how we're going to cope financially. If I leave that salary behind, you know, what about future security pension and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, but if I really want to do it, we can make it happen. We just have to work out why we have to come from a perspective of you are doing this and you can do this and then problem solve how to get there. So I've said this before, like we had to make some really harsh decisions, like financially, um, even to the point of cancelling Netflix, because we were like, how can we cut, you know, cut our costs? And even the $5.99 a month, I was like, that can go. I knew that I had to do it for me because I couldn't see myself doing another 20 years on that bog standard career trajectory, even if I was doing pretty well, it somehow just wasn't enough anymore. Yeah. And and as you say, you do come alive and that's something that you really bring across in the course. And I know it's, it's no secret. Anybody that knows me knows how much I really enjoyed doing it and how much actually for me, I felt that I have grown personally, especially confidence, ability to speak publicly, also, even just, you know, hold hold a conversation in a boardroom and hold the attention of, let's face it, it's the men in the room, isn't it? Because there aren't any other women. So I'm really grateful to have had that opportunity. Um, that means the world to me, honestly. That is like my biggest joy when I get feedback from women like you who have been through something that I have created, but it's become something that's bigger than me. It's not like we had one-to-one coaching. The thing that I have created has benefited you, but you've gone and taken that opportunity and flourished yourself. You've made that happen. And that is what I absolutely love. It's like I'm sort of a bit of an initiator, but mainly a catalyst in helping other women, first of all, see and then work towards their potential. And that is addictive that is like a a, like a drug to me now getting that feedback just always reminds me no matter how hard it is doing what I'm doing kind of a bit on my own and like pushing keeping to push forward with what I'm doing 
that feedback just makes it 100% worth it. So thank you. And it's, again, like you say, it's, it's bigger than um, like the initial idea as well, because I've taken what you've taught me and I, I'm sharing that with other women as well. And I'm sure there's other women who have been through Amazing that are doing the same. So you're not even going to see the number of people you're reaching with it. My sister, who is one of my big role models, said to me the other day that she got a taxi randomly from Luton Airport to somewhere. And, and she was she happened to start telling the taxi driver about me and what I was doing because she was, oh, she'd just been watching a thing I've been doing on that was on Curiosity Stream. And he said, is that Alex Knight? Oh, my girlfriend is like follows her and LinkedIn has done one of her programs or something. And I, my sister was like, what? It's so random. And she was telling me, and I said, honestly, I don't know who that is. I, I feel like I should know who that is. But you're exactly right. There's people benefiting now who I won't necessarily even know about it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's definitely worth something, um, you know, for us to keep sharing it. And like I say everybody that knows me knows that I do talk about it a lot, but the benefits have been massive to me. And I know that you've got a wave going through at the moment, yeah. but if anybody's interested in joining the next wave, when would be the launch and the, the deadline for applications? So, yeah, you're right. We've got a wave at the moment going through, which will finish at Christmas. And then we'll have the spring summer round opening early in 2023, which will start in March 2023. So if anybody's interested in registering their interest, um, it's great if you can kind of link in with the World Refrigeration Day community, because we hold a certain number of places guaranteed for those women, as we do with our other sponsors. But there are loads of there are open places as well. So anyone can apply and then fingers crossed you get down selected and that will start in March next year so registration will open probably around the end of January so keep an eye out for that. So thinking back to your career and it can be any point of your career so whether it be your your sort of your day job as you like to put it or the amazing, what's been your biggest highlight? I think it's got to be amazing, but the thing that has always given me a feeling of satisfaction and feeling like I'm at my absolute peak in my career it is when I've been working with other women and so I can always sort of almost see those those points in my career history of when I've worked with other women and I feel like there's been genuinely something that has sparked a new idea or sparked something that has really made a big difference to one of the projects we've been working on and it gave me such satisfaction to see not only that career outcome, but the improvement in that woman's self-belief from me working with them. And that has then demonstrated to me over time that that is where my natural strengths lie. It's, it's supporting and empowering other people to do something amazing that then I benefit from, we all benefit from, because it produces a better output at the end of the day. And I can I can trace that back right to sort of when I first started managing people in my second job and sort of saw people progress and people develop and then go on to do something brilliant that maybe they would have got there anyway without me. But I helped them get there faster and believe in themselves more. And I've certainly had bosses where I didn't feel like they brought me up as a person they didn't help me believe in myself more they might have given me some structured development like technically but they didn't help me believe in myself more which ultimately is the foundation for anything I think in terms of development and I feel like I do that that's what I prioritize so I've seen that over the years 
and particularly one of the or a couple of the biggest highlights for me is when I've I've seen my mentees who were like significantly younger and less experienced have a major step forward in development or self-belief and I just feel like they're going to go on to do amazing things they're going to go on to really make a difference in the world and I was part of that I helped them get there and I may never know ultimately what they achieve but I I feel like I'm a part of their life and they'll carry that forward And that, I suppose, comes down to leaving a legacy, doesn't it? You don't necessarily know what that legacy is, but it's out there in the ether. And it's almost like you're sharing a piece of your energy and and sort of soul almost with people that that goes and influences their direction. And that is definitely, for me, the most valuable kind of satisfying thing that I can do and you know I've I've received awards and I've got the various accolades and stuff like that and that is lovely but I feel like that sort of recognition of the stuff that is really important to me the accolade and the award itself is not the highlight if that makes sense so you've just sorry I'll say you've just literally sparked a question that I have to sort of ask so obviously men and women have very different characteristics and this is very much a stereotype that I'm talking about but women perhaps being more emotionally you know intelligent and more nurturing so do you think if we have more women leaders that actually in time we will just develop a management team that have those skills naturally because women you know if you've got younger men that are looking up to you do you think that will rub off those stereotypical characteristics that perhaps we do have role models influence us in so many ways and behavioral influence I think is one of them so if I genuinely yeah I think you're right if we have more people with emotional intelligence and empathy skills as leaders so more like servant leaders in leadership positions then they set the tone, they set the culture of the organisation and almost give people permission to be more vulnerable, to be more empathetic, to be more open-minded. So I completely agree that they don't have to be women, but women are maybe just more used to being more emotional and more vulnerable because it's more acceptable in society for women to be like that and less acceptable for men. So I know lots of men, men who are vulnerable and emotionally intelligent um, and have empathy but they might not necessarily show that at work in a work situation so I think we we all need to give ourselves permission to show those skills I think they are skills that you can develop and learn we need to give ourselves permission and set good examples so the leaders setting those examples they will like you say set that culture set that tone and I think it will definitely help to get more women more balance generally more balance because I think if you had all women it could get toxic just like it can be like toxic if it's all men so I think the balance and the natural sort of balance that um, a mix of different personality types different backgrounds bring to a team and particularly a leadership team will be so valuable and that's why we need more women in engineering just to help us get the balance I don't want it to be 100% women and women to just be you know 100% in boardrooms I want there to be a balance and that is what I think provides the foundation for greater inclusion which leads to greater innovation And that's what we need to solve all the global challenges that we've got that are only, you know, going to get worse. And it's not just about creating innovative solutions. It's about creating inclusive, innovative solutions that will benefit everyone. And, And without that balance of leadership, therefore setting the tone for the balance 
of the culture in the organization, we won't get there. So I completely agree with what you said. And I would like build on that and say, yes, it can be men and women providing that that kind of leadership, but a balance almost like having more women gives the men permission to be like that as well so everyone benefits culture change is just such a big task isn't it it's you know it just takes such a long time to happen it moves very slowly but for me it's that diversity with with working in a a large manufacturer um business is that diversity of planning for the business and structure and it's not always about the, the technical arm and the the product arm it is very much about that development of people and just a different thought process and what, what I was probably always refer to as the softer skills as well it's not just hard technical what do you know it is about how you behave and how you work with others and develop the business as well so it's really nice to kind of hear that you talk about that as well it's yeah absolutely I think we are you can't put anything in isolation and in engineering I think maybe we are a bit more at risk of seeing certain skills as more important than others because we're sort of almost trained to think like that and have a certain level of elitism around the technical skills and discount some of the other skills that actually are vital for creating a better outcome and yes you might be developing something that is you know a product that has you know absolutely requires very high level of of design and manufacturing, for example, but unless you understand how people are actually going to use that, how you do all the marketing and business development around it and how the project teams work best together and all of that, you're completely right. It has to be the big picture for something to be inclusive um, and get the best outcomes. I know we've sort of talked around Amazing Academy and tell us a little bit about what it is and what, for those that don't really know, what involvement uh, people can have within it. Yeah, sure. So thanks for that opportunity. Um, so, well, like I said, I was saying how I started Amazing as a bit of a side hustle. Initially, I actually saw Amazing as having two separate themes. Amazing Women, where I was doing one-to-one coaching I was doing some training for some organizations I was doing some speaking events um, and some lecturing at university so that was kind of where I would do this amazing women bit and get paid for that and then amazing kids was sort of my joyful hobby bit almost where I was just taking some stem sessions that I'd run over the years and just adapting them and, and improving them to make them a bit more high level of fun and still have the this core STEM messages sort of like um, woven in there, but mainly focused about not not trying to educate kids about engineering, but more have fun through engineering with practical hands-on activities. And just purely for me to sort of uh, not break the bank, do all of these with really simple resources that you, you would find around the house. And then that was kind of amazing kids that I was doing separately as well. And I did a lot of that voluntarily. Sometimes schools paid me to do science days or whatever. And then, but I always knew it was important for me as a woman to be leading those as a role model. And then with COVID, I moved this amazing kids stuff online. And it was even more important to make them really easy sessions to step through for kids because I wasn't in the room with them and using really basic resources around the house. And because that was quite successful and and families were joining and giving me good feedback about that, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And this is such an effective way of getting STEM activities out there by doing it online. So then I started speaking to some women in my sort of, you know, close network and saying, 
I'm doing these sessions like, do you want to do them too? And I'll somehow coordinate you doing them so we can do more sessions because I've only got a certain amount of time in the day. Um, and then like, oh, I don't know. I'd love to do it, but I don't really think it's up my street or it's not me or I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not good working with child, young children. And I was like, OK, well, I know you are, but you don't think you are. So how can I support these women to do that more? And that's where then I combined some amazing women and some amazing kids and came up with the idea of the Inspiration Academy so that I could support women to be more confident with running these amazing kids sessions. And then they could go and, you know, work the magic and, and spread the word and spread STEM even further. And it, it was a complete experiment. So the first session, the first round that Lisa Jane was on was like a complete experiment, really, just to see how it went. And the, the fact that I was sort of evolving it as I was going and getting feedback from the women on board saying like this, this I'm loving this bit or like this bit isn't working very well and then I just sort of slowly adapted it and that now that's become the main thing that I do because I've realized just actually how powerful that um sort of springboard is for women to give them a confidence boost that is is on the surface about doing STEM kids clubs but underneath that it's actually a lot more than that it's actually building confidence in yourself as a role model and like Lisa Jane said that filters into everything it filters into being able to say yes to opportunities put yourself forward for promotion speak up in a boardroom it all comes from the same place and therefore I think there's a bigger benefit than I even necessarily saw from the outset um, I mean, I'd brought I'd woven into the program some of the stuff I was doing with women who I was mentoring anyway. So I knew it was helpful, but I didn't realize or appreciate that it would be as helpful as it has been. And then, of course, reaching the kids and the number of you know, you very quickly um, reach a lot more kids as soon as you've got more women involved. So it's a way to really scale up the impact of showing children visible female role models and introducing them to STEM in a way that they find really fun and accessible and that they can do it and they see that it's related to real life, that itself will hopefully sort of sow the seeds of challenging some of those stereotypes around STEM, not just about gender stereotypes, but stereotypes around, well, I can't do it if I'm not super clever or I don't understand how this engineering thing is even related to what I'm doing because we never talk about it at school. We just talk about maths and science. So hopefully it's sowing the seeds at a young age. And then obviously it needs to be reinforced as the children uh, get older. But there's already quite a lot of STEM outreach at secondary school level. So that's why I'm targeting really young children. And I'm, yeah, I'm just blown away by how much it's kind of evolved and growing um, since I started it not that long ago, really. So if people want to get involved, like it's open to any women in STEM and you don't have to have STEM qualifications. You don't have to have a STEM job title. You just have to be connected to a STEM field in some way, either through your background of what you studied or where you're working now. Um, and it's a four month program all online. So anyone anywhere can take part as long as you've got an Internet connection. And you learn to build your confidence, being a role model, confidence on camera for doing online STEM engagement and build your portfolio of really fun, hands on interactive STEM sessions with kids. But then after the programme, when you have tested it with a class, because you kind of get forced to deliver these sessions to a class of, of kids, 
and then you realize that you can do it and it's actually quite rewarding, um, then hopefully that's the springboard for going on to do more. And of course, you can continue using this amazing kids resources, but also develop your own, get your own from other sources, because there's loads of fantastic stuff out there. So I just I just hope that it is the springboard or sort of motivator for women to go on and continue to do this even more. To be forced to do it online is probably what's really helped it to scale up as well and have so many different people involved. I yeah. know Lisa Jane as well was part of, as you said, the Experimental Inspiration Academy and often seen some of the classes and, and classrooms that she's led as well. But Lisa Jane, what was your experience within the Academy and, and kind of what you did and what you learned from it? I know you spoke briefly, but yeah, real the operational kind of stuff, what you had to get involved with. I suppose for me, it was quite a daunting thing to start. And if I'm really honest, when I first signed up for it, I was kind of pushing myself it wasn't really something that I really really wanted to do I I was already a STEM ambassador and I knew the value of taking away some of those classes but it was it was the prospect of having to record a video and like to put my face online and for even my voice to be out there as well that just seemed like the most alien thing in the world to me so actually getting through that the the videos classes tasks that we were given you know all of the mentoring that Alex did with us really does build that confidence because you know now we're recording podcasts and we've done webinars and all sorts of stuff and I wouldn't have done that without I suppose sort of I just want to say sort of off on a side angle a little bit Alex touched on the engagement with the children and something that I found really interesting is that I've worked now with two SEND schools so special educational needs and when I've spoken to the teachers after the class they've been blown away with the engagement from the children because they really often struggle in a classroom environment. They prefer to be outside, you know, in nature and playing outside and that they really do struggle in the classroom. And from both schools, they've just, like I say, been blown away by how the children have sat there and listened all the way through, done the experiments, but not only that, then initiated their own experiments afterwards as well, because a lot of them don't do anything when they're not told to so they they're they're literally waiting for instructions and these children were so captured that like I said that that's probably the most rewarding thing that I've got out of it is just actually being able to get through to those children and to engage with them in a way that suits their learning you know there's there's so much more value than just sort of the like the STEM sort of side of it it is about engaging those children and reigniting their passion for their education that's amazing that is that is yeah that's just brilliant and I think it just shows, doesn't it, that STEM can break down barriers. And, and if if we keep sort of seeing STEM as this elitist thing that you've got to have a PhD to be able to do, do it well, then we are putting off so many people that could bring so much value in their ideas and their different way that they see the world to our future solutions that are then going to benefit so many more people but you you know for for you to say that story of how it breaks down barriers and allows send kids to really engage with something like that's helping them right then in that moment but maybe it's also helping them see that they're they you know they could do something with their future that might link into stem and that's going to benefit the whole stem community and i'm it's not something that i've really thought about how i can progress or get more involved with Instamazing at the moment. We tend to do the sessions in the mainstream schools, 
but we've certainly had in the in the last round that we did where we had one of our engineers who was a deaf woman and she did she did all the um stem sessions in british sign language to a classroom of hearing impaired and deaf children and they loved it and they got so much out of it as well and so it is a way because it is practical and hands-on and you get involved and you see you building your own experiment and you see the result of that it and it, and we and it's okay you know we reinforce the messages of being curious and creative and courageous and it it's something that can help kids sort of not feel like there's a right and a wrong and you're going to either fail or pass it's just let's give it a go and see what happens and that's a fantastic attitude to have in life in general it's good because it does build on that teamwork you know mm. when i was working with my first group some of the aspects are a little bit tricky but explaining to them that everybody has different skill sets and while you might not excel at that one come the next experiment you're going to be helping that person that was helping you last time so that that's something that's really valuable mm-hmm. um and so and we haven't touched on the social mobility aspect as well because mm-hmm. you tend to work with schools in areas that you know are less financially stable shall we say so that those children wouldn't normally have that opportunity and you know I have found that in my town that some of the schools in the the more wealthy areas already have STEM on their curriculum whereas the ones that are in the poor areas don't so that I think that's another thing to sort of maybe shine a little light on because it's really good that's amazing you're looking at that as well mm. yeah and I, I I was always keen right from the offset that when we've delivered the free stem sessions into into schools because the women are volunteering their time to do this they're not getting paid the schools don't therefore shouldn't pay it's amazing so they they're getting the sessions for free and the sponsorship that I get helps pay for resources to go to those schools if they do need them and so the way that I prioritize places for schools is literally rank them in order of free school meals or the equivalent so that we are giving the opportunity to the schools that need it the most and I wonder I was reflecting on sort of that like that it it wasn't even a question for me in my mind when I started it was just like that was obviously what I was going to do because I think social mobility is so important and there's studies to show that STEM careers is one of the biggest enablers of getting people out of social deprivation so in terms of like moving up the social mobility ladder if you like having STEM qualifications is one of the key ways you can do that and that was the same for my dad so my dad grew up in east end of London really really poor and actually him getting into uh, like STEM fields helped him break free of that cycle of poverty basically and I suppose I've got that in my mind that that's I've seen it happen and all the privileges that that has therefore given me as his daughter so to be able to sort of pass that on to other people and you know my sister has been a big influence on me in terms of I suppose providing opportunities for people as well she she had a bad car accident when she was younger and and was disabled as a result of that and I've always felt like this being able to help other people and see them thrive even though they've got you know tough luck in life really like they've got a harder start than anyone else yet they can still achieve amazing things if they're given the opportunities and that's one of the things that I think again has sort of seeped into the way that I run amazing. It goes back to the beginning when you mentioned about, and I, I made an oath of it, so I really liked it, about engineering open doors. Mm. And that story just follows through your whole career and, and you still believe in that now. And I think it's great that it's not just something that was seen when 
that our parents saw or grandparents saw it's it's still as apparent now really absolutely yeah we all need those doors to come available to us and then it's down to us if we actually walk through them or not and that takes personal confidence courage resilience resourcefulness which are skills we can develop it's not like we're born with them or we're not born with them just purely by practicing and giving ourselves permission to stretch our comfort zone we can learn those skills and develop them and enhance them but I do think STEM is one of those things that provides a lot of opportunities for people in so many ways like definitely obviously career but being able to move into different industries and really develop transferable skills that benefit you as a person and how you live your life stem creates kind of those doors but we still have to be the people to walk through them and sometimes i think that's where women particularly need some support to just say you you can do this just just go for it you, you will surprise yourself what you can achieve and the more women we've got giving and setting that example of actually I'm going to go and do this even though I feel uncomfortable about it gives other women the permission to do it and then the more that we then have those women progressing up it leads back to Lisa Jane's point we're starting to actually transform cultures in organizations so it's it's all connected everything we're doing with just amazing kids right down to you know like five year olds is all connected up to the cultures that we create in our future STEM organizations and it's also like linked together with how women believe in themselves, how women support other women around them, how we all champion each other, how we encourage men to be part of that and be majority allies and for men to benefit as well. Like I get lots of messages and calls from men saying, well, can I join your program? Because I would benefit from that boost of confidence and that experience and that exposure. And I say, well, I would love to get to that point at some some future date in Stamazing where I have 50-50 men and women on my programs. Um, it's definitely something I want to do. But right now, with the size that we are and the resources that we have, I need to focus on the big key problem, which is still women. So once we kind of start to see change in that, then absolutely, I feel like we want to get more men involved. But right now, they can still be majority allies and champions, as we can all be majority allies to someone uh, you know, in, in our lives and in our work. So everything is connected. And that's so satisfying when you realize that everything you do is connected to the world around you and, and connected to everybody else in some way. And yeah, it, I think it helps us with our motivation for feeling like what we're doing, if it's tough, is not just for us. It's, it's part of a bigger picture that is helping in so many ways that we might not even see or be aware of, but we have to just believe that it is making a difference. So we've got sort of a bit of a theme that we're going to run through these podcasts because we've all had these moments where we just think, oh, my God, that was the worst experience ever. What has been your most embarrassing moment? Um, you know, for me, we touched on, on the last podcast for me, like walking into the office with my skirt tucked into my underwear is very typical sort of <laughs> thing that I would do. But it's just something like that, that perhaps... You just think at that that moment you wish that the the ground would swallow you. Honestly, like I was thinking about this, and the two things came to my mind: different, uh, different like forms of embarrassment, if you like. One which was for anyone that knows me, that know like especially the the younger Alex is very much a Britney Spears fan, and just love cheesy music. And we were at a works uh, sort of like 
team building get together thing and there was some music and I maybe had had a couple of drinks and I went and just literally stole the stole the mic off the DJ and started singing along to Britney Spears and didn't realize because I was sort of like in my own little world that the whole of like my work colleagues people who I would have probably even been like nervous to talk to in the office were all standing staring at me people took photos and actually when I left that job they made this really sweet like roadmap of my of my life in in my job from when I joined to when I left and the photo of me like you know properly giving it as the Britney Spears absolute going for it on the on the microphone is is one of those photos so I remember at the time when I realized everyone was staring at me being absolutely mortified um but it's one of those things that became a bit of almost like I don't know like a kind of endearing thing that I was still embarrassed about but less ashamed of if you like (laughs) um but another moment I remember which is more cringe than embarrassing and comes back to one thing we were mentioning earlier uh, maybe even before we went live on this podcast about comments that can be made to you and how it makes you feel so I this was my very first job as I mentioned there was like some senior people and me as very very junior like first sort of proper job after uni and we were talking about the importance of in product development being able to appreciate other products that are out there and taking like uh, some of their like design um, sort of aspects and integrating them into something new as part of the innovation process. And this director started talking to me about washing machines and how, you know, every engineer should know how a washing machine works and that washing machines have a lot of actual, like it's very basic kind of we take it for granted as a as a device but it's sort of stuff we should think about integrating into our ideas for other designs and he and then he said and do you know Alex that um the vibrational frequency of a washing machine is the perfect frequency for a female orgasm and you should I recommend you sit on one of those washing machines and and see what happens I bet you'd enjoy it and I just wanted the world to like you know the ground to open up and swallow me I literally it was just me and him in an office and I didn't know what to say I didn't know where to look I was just so embarrassed and like cringe how on earth did this conversation get on to the female orgasm I do not know but now I don't know how to end the conversation and it made me feel completely embarrassed and uncomfortable and but again I just I I I felt like I had to let it go I didn't know how to respond I should have said wow what that is inappropriate where's that come from but I didn't I just let it go and that was kind of the story of my life to begin with when I had quite a few inappropriate things said to me they were highly embarrassing for me and made me feel uncomfortable put me in an awkward position um had no idea how to respond and if I hadn't if I'd have been a different type of person I could you know I could have just thought I need to leave this industry this is horrendous I can't work in this kind of situation I remember another one where I'd been down, I was working on a a submarine project and I'd been down in the dockyard wearing horrendous looking PPE that didn't fit me properly at all. And unbeknownst to me, someone had taken a picture of me looking like arms crossed, looking kind of like a bit unimpressed at whatever we were looking at some trial. And they printed this photograph out, made it into a poster that said, women in engineering, beware. And they put it up in their office And then I had people coming up to me who I didn't even really know saying, oh, you're that girl on that poster. That's hilarious. And I I was like, what? I didn't know. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, 
this is awful. Everyone's laughing at me because I look ridiculous in this PPE. I look like I'm really unimpressed and, and bored. And it was just just like awful. But again, I didn't know how to respond and everyone thought it was funny. So I thought, oh, I should probably think it's funny rather than making a fuss. So, yeah, and like other other, you know, many, many things like that have happened that have been embarrassing stroke cringe, not necessarily funny. Um, other people found them funny. And I think, you know, it's just this this still happens. And if if we don't stop it and realizing that it's actually sexist, degrading, you know, a form of harassment, then we are going to keep losing talented women. There were many points in my career with things like that, but I could have just gone, you know what, I've had enough. I'm not putting up with this. And, and that's it. It's very damaging, isn't it, to the future mm. of the industry then? I think, like you said, we, we all had similar kind of experiences that you, you get caught up in, in it in that moment that you're, you can't quite believe it's being said, and then you kick yourself afterwards that you didn't address it or, or didn't say something. But, yeah, it could be very damaging to some people that maybe aren't so resilient, but, like you say, just think, this isn't for me. And that's the problem, isn't it? Like, I think when people say, oh, you've got to just, it's just a joke, it's just banter, you've got to go with it. That's their opinion of what banter is. And it's, it's, it is a hard area to know, like, where, where is sort of like camaraderie being funny and, and kind of having a, an inclusive joke with people compared to actually someone is the butt of this joke and it might be embarrassing. They might put up a, a, a confident front, but actually inside they're dying. And, you just don't know. So if you sort of take that risk, you might actually be putting someone off ever coming back to that work environment again. And then, and unfortunately, it's commonly women in that situation. And then they're losing, you know, we're losing these talented women. So it's, it is a real problem. And I hope that any men listening or any women listening or anyone listening, in fact, is like maybe a bit more aware of how they behave in the workplace and whether that is inclusive to everyone. And I I know some people are like, oh, it's PC gone mad, but it matters. So why risk upsetting and damaging and hurting people? Why not just be kind and inclusive? Because there are other ways of having fun. It doesn't mean somebody has to be the butt of jokes. But I think that's a very traditional engineering culture. Is to kind of basically take the piss out of people, you know, laugh and joke about people. And again, you can do that if you really know someone well and you and you know that they're gonna thrive in that environment, that's fine. But just be aware of who else is around and who else might be not thriving. Yeah, I think that's it's, it's an interesting point, those the sort of banter and harassment. And you know, I've sort of grew up in I wouldn't want to say a male environment because actually I've, I've only got a sister and so in, in our house my dad was the only man but when I was at school all my friends were boys so I was kind of in that banter kind of environment to start off with so a lot of it does sort of go over me and I've had to reset in more recent years because you know we're trying to bring young people in and we forget that as young people they're vulnerable and like you say that that kind of banter may well actually be harassment then whereas me I just I literally throw something back at somebody I'm just like you're gonna speak to me like I speak to you the same way back but that's the environment that I've been in so it's it's kind of sort of normal but yeah to sort of reset and remind ourselves that it may not be acceptable for everybody and that goes both ways as well and, I, and across like, again all different types of people so it's really it's a really good point it's something that you know hopefully maybe after this people might take a few moments to sort of think themselves about perhaps the way they speak or communicate or things they might do 
in the workplace and how appropriate those things are. Definitely. Yeah. Because I think even even how you communicate with people, if you are uh, giving them signals that you are like not happy with them or that you don't value their work, then that can really deeply affect some people. Other people, it will be like water off a duck's back and other people, it will really deeply affect them and knock their confidence massively. So being aware of the influence you have on others with the your body language as well as what you say. And that doesn't necessarily just have to be junior people as well. It's like your peers, maybe even people senior to you. It's, it's just about recognizing the impact you have on others, being more self-aware and... Again, I feel like that is something we can learn. It doesn't mean some people are just incapable of growing their self-awareness. But if we work hard on that and have like more inclusive cultures where we are able to share those things and recognize that without, you know, we can have some constructive feedback about how to improve, then we can get there slowly. It's not a, an insurmountable problem, but it does require some, some hard work. And I'm not sure everyone is willing to put in that work. And that's where the problems lie. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think for me, probably sort of my best bit of advice for how to sort of approach that in the workplace is to encourage people to build relationships. So, you know, maybe even people to find like a wingman, but someone that's mm. completely different from you so that you can sort of start these conversations and discuss perhaps the differences in your culture and what you might find offensive so it's it's sort of helping people to build cultural knowledge I suppose see I I, I mean myself I would definitely encourage people to seek out somebody that is completely different from you and just have some really honest conversations with them about how certain situations make you feel I think having having mentoring relationships where you've got, you know, in any mentoring relationship, there's the opportunity for reverse mentoring as well and, and learning from your mentee. And then having and then also having maybe lunchtime sessions where you do talk about inclusion moments, like you have safety moments and say like this happened and what can we do to improve the outcome of that next time? But again, it takes work and it takes leadership because somebody's got to lead that and show that that's the the direction that the the company wants to go in. I, I really we haven't really talked about mentoring, but I think mentoring is is really really valuable for the mentees and the mentors. I've learned so much from my mentees over the years, and especially like I say, mentoring people who are very different to you. So although most of my mentees, pretty much most of my mentees, are women, I have learned so much from them. They've come from different cultures, different backgrounds. And appreciating what they're going through and realizing, oh, I've actually got a real privilege there. I hadn't even necessarily noticed I have a privilege because they have it so much harder in certain respects. And it really helps make you more open minded. And that then filters into everything you do, because the way that you may run your next project or your next meeting, you'll be more open minded about how to be inclusive and aware of some of these barriers that other people have that you didn't even appreciate. And again, you just put another interesting word, so privilege for us to evaluate um, our own situations. And then, you know, once once we've got to grips with that, we can be more mindful of other people. And I think it helps to identify opportunities then as well, because you, once you're sort of aware of your own privilege, you can see where people might be lacking. And then, like you say, sort of offering that helping hand up yeah there's definitely. been lots of really good words today things that have sparked <laughs> interesting conversation and questions 
Um, I think we've probably just about come to the end of our time slot, but you know, I could happily talk all day if I'm really <laughs> honest. Engineering, um, diversity, you know, they're, they're really things that I'm quite passionate about and I, I know you are too. So I think we'll probably just say goodbye for um, today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, for giving us your time and sharing your really interesting story. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. And just thanks again for being part of this amazing community as well, because it's people like you that make it what it is. And I'm proud to know you. And like, I honestly, you from when I started, when I first got to meet you and to see how you've developed and flourished and and progressed since then is is just amazing and I'm just I'm yeah I think you should definitely be super proud of yourself and thank you for creating this podcast and for adding this value out to the community as well so it's been a pleasure to be a part of it thank you it's a big team effort isn't it across um stem community and and that's something else that you offer obviously with so amazing is that networking so I've made some really valuable connections as well from wider engineering fields um, and there's something we tend to be quite guilty of in, in our industry is we are a big community but we do tend to just be very inward looking and we're trying to change that to learn from other areas of engineering so that again that's something else that you offer. We're going to have to work on Karen getting Karen on to one of the next <laughs> waves. Yeah, I get it I do get the um, the question often so yeah I've probably got no excuse but we always <laughs> find excuses and reasons why we can't. But yeah, I need to walk through that door. <laughs> you do, you do, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, Alex. And I, I mean, we'll obviously share a bit more about this is amazing and the Inspiration Academy for anyone that does want to join it for future within our group and everything. So thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you to everyone for listening to episode two of States of Matter. Just a reminder that you will find us on LinkedIn as well with our network. Please join and keep an eye on what what's going on for the future and what plan for the future but we'll also share some more details on there as well about the about it's amazing so you can really go and look for yourself and hopefully sign up and follow in the footsteps of some other amazing engineers and stem ambassadors but thank you mm-hmm.